We are back with the QB List Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm the editor-in-chief at QB List, Eric Smith, and I'm joined by Ryan Heath to go through two different topics today that I'm excited to touch on. Uh, Ryan just came out with a big article about running back targets and pretty much whether the credit goes to the running back or the quarterback on those targets, uh, what determines who gets the targets and uh, just how we can factor that into our drafts. Uh, So that's going to be up front. Um, Second half of this podcast is going to be focused on underdog best ball. They just released the puppy, um, a giant uh, tournament of best ball drafting. And Ryan and I are underway and trying to win that $75,000 first place prize. So we're going to go through our first draft of the year um, in the puppy and kind of break down what we learned and uh, help you out if you're about to get into your best ball drafting for the year. So like I said, I am joined by Ryan uh, at QBL Ryan on Twitter. Um, Ryan, I guess the big topics recently have been that C.D. Lamb might have grown uh, half an inch over the offseason. And then we also have the fancy football argument between Tommy Pham and Jock Peterson. So uh, which have you been uh, just tuned to during the last few weeks? And what do you want to really rant on to start out the show here? Yeah, I'm mostly amazed by this C.D. Lamb thing. I don't understand how you can be 23 years old and still be growing. Uh, I'm 22. It'd be nice if I could get another half an inch coming up here in the next year or so. I don't think that's how it's going to work, though. Uh, and with the Jock Peterson thing, it it's just really funny. I, I don't have a whole lot to add to it that probably hasn't been said already, but I think it's pretty funny that even extremely rich and famous athletes are getting into petty disagreements in their fantasy football leagues. Like it's what I do with my friends. So it just makes me feel good that it's not only an experience that us normal people have. Yeah. If my understanding of the situation is correct, uh, somebody was stashing someone on IR. Uh, I am very against IR spots and redraft leagues. I, I understood the COVID IR stuff, uh, but I think I would be a little angry like Tommy Pham was if someone stashed in just some injured player. So I don't know if these were COVID IR spots or regular IR spots. I think if a fantasy football manager was asking the questions, they might have uh, gone into some more detail on their follow-ups, but um, I don't know. Uh, IR spots, I, I'm not a fan of them. Let's just get rid of them and redraft. So, because uh, then you can just stash all these injured players and you've got a loaded roster and there's nobody on waivers. So you got to make tough decisions in fantasy football, uh, free them to the wire, let someone else stash them. So that's my take on that argument. But as a Cincinnati Reds fan, I guess I have to take Tommy Pham's side. So uh, whatever on that one. But like I said, we are getting into um, the early off season. And one of those topics that we want to cover are running backs because we know that those are league winners every year. Um, Ryan wrote an awesome piece last year. You can find it on the website, website just kind of about what makes up a league winning running back. Uh, this is a little bit of a continuation on that. This uh, is titled, Are Running Back Targets Inherited from Quarterbacks? So Ryan really dove deep into this. Um, it's an awesome article. Please check it out on the site. But Ryan, uh, summarize the method you gave here for how to determine running back targets, whether they are a result of the running back's talent or from the quarterback's kind of uh, process, you know, whether they check down a lot or not. Yeah. So my approach to this was first, I needed to find a way to sort of quantify quarterback tendency and a way to quantify a running back's ability to earn targets. So for quarterback tendency, I, went with QB target rate to running backs uh, between the years of 2018 to 2020. I was able to get a lot of game data from at Jake Tribby on Twitter. Shout out to him. Uh, wouldn't have been possible without him sharing that data with me. Um, so then for the running backs, I basically compared the target rate that QBs threw to them at 
versus what their target share was in 2021. And I found that it had basically no impact. It seems like quarterback doesn't matter for a running back's target share, or at least their tendency to throw to certain positions doesn't. So then I wanted to take it a step further. I wanted to see if, well, really, if it mattered that quarterback doesn't matter to running back target share. So I just wanted to compare the 2021 target share straight up to all of those running backs career average target shares just to see if that was going to be more predictive. And it was, it was highly predictive. So it really seems like running backs earn targets more so than they inherit them from quarterbacks. Yeah. And that's interesting. Cause I think we have some examples in our minds and it's not to say that there aren't outliers that aren't true here, but uh, we have some examples like, you know, Philip Rivers checks down to the running back like crazy throughout his career or Lamar Jackson or a scrambling quarterback. They don't like to check down. Um, and so there are obviously outliers. I'm sure there are some cases that matter, but so basically overall, you're just saying that uh, like say you took prime Christian McCaffrey, dropped him into any offense. He's going to demand a certain target share, right? It's just the talent of the running back is what's driving the ball going to them. And if they've shown the ability to draw targets, uh, that's going to, that's going to translate no matter what offense, no matter what quarterback they have. Yeah, exactly. At least as far as target share goes, um, when it gets more complicated is when we start thinking about the total passing volume in an offense that is also going to be affected by the quarterback. And that does obviously matter to the number of raw targets that a running back is going to see. So Alvin Kamara was an example that I brought up in the article. He felt like he had a down year last year with receiving, but in reality, he actually had a 20% target share during all the games that he played, which is in line with his career average. The issue was the Saints were averaging like six less pass attempts in games Kamara played last year than they were the year before. And that's partially play calling, but also because of Jameis Winston, they didn't want to sling it as much as they were with Drew Brees. So it's kind of interesting how it all comes together. We get to a projection for a player's targets and target share, but this is just different ways to think about it. And maybe giving the listener some ammo to fade the analysis that says, oh, well, Derek Carr throws to running backs a lot. Therefore, the running back X cardboard cutout is just going to get a bunch of targets because he's in Derek Carr's offense. Right. And it's very valuable this year because we've had a ton of quarterback movement. So we've got a lot of situations that are different this year. Um, You looked into some changes with the quarterback running back combination as well, right? And it it kind of the the same thing holds true, whether it's the same quarterback running back for a few years or if it's a brand new pairing, it still holds true that the the change uh, kind of defaults to what the running back usually uh, receives in the target share. Yeah, even if the running back has a new quarterback, that quarterback's tendency still had no greater effect on their target share. In fact, it it was even closer to their career average when a running back switched teams. So yeah, really, I thought going into this analysis that I was going to find the opposite, at least for running backs that were switching teams. But it really seems like we should be more focused on what running backs have shown they're capable of historically in the receiving game, rather than trying to make all these predictions about the quarterback's tendency to check down and what we think the play calling tendencies are going to be. It seems like 
that type of analysis is just not really worth our time is kind of what I've taken out of all this. Okay. And we're going to get to some players that we can apply this to here in a minute and kind of discuss what some changes at quarterback maybe means for them. But um, I know this wasn't in your piece, but I'm wondering how you feel about rookie receivers. Uh, you know, that's kind of, do we, do we default to that college target share? I mean, maybe adjust it a bit, or are we a little more skeptical on these rookies coming in and getting a target share, even if they've shown it in the past? Like, do you have any, any feeling on how much that matters for a rookie running back? Um, so, well, as far as my method in the study, I was just plugging in college target shares for rookie running backs, which is definitely not perfect. Um, I haven't seen a ton of evidence that college target shares always carry over super well to the NFL. I think they do at the margin or not at the margin, sorry, at the extremes. Mm -hmm. So if you've got a running back that was like a 90th percentile college target share, you can probably expect him to catch passes in the NFL. He probably profiles that way, mm -hmm. um, but it's certainly not as strong of a correlation going from college to the NFL as it is once we've seen what they can do in the NFL. Great. Yeah. And so again, um, if you check this piece out along with Ryan's piece from last year on league winning running backs, it's kind of just one little uh, portion of that whole article that you've, he's focused in here. So uh, before we get to the players, any, any last kind of thing on the methodology or just kind of bigger picture takeaways? Um, no, I think that's pretty much it. I will say that going forward, this is going to affect how I think about the sequel to my league winning running back article that I will probably be writing later this summer. So stay tuned for that, I guess. Yeah, sounds great. And I, I think it'd be a good idea to just add to this article as we get closer to the season, because uh, that's really when these narratives start forming is uh, when we, we hear talking heads, you know, on 15 different podcasts say, uh, you know, well, Matt Ryan, he's going to check down a ton and that's going to do this or that. So uh, I think this can be added to as well. So we'll keep updating these things throughout the season, but let's get to some players we can apply this information to. That's what we really care about here. Um, some players uh, kind of all throughout the draft draft process. I'm going to start by um, lowest ADP on underdog. It is best ball season. So we're going to use underdog ADP quite a bit here, but uh, let's start with Najee Harris. Uh, he's got an underdog ADP of 8.5. He's the RB5 off the board. I thought he was interesting to bring up because uh, he's got a new quarterback. We're going from Big Ben to um, the combination of whoever they're going to play a quarterback there, whether it's Kenny Pickett or uh, Mitch Trubisky. But I, I think the narrative is going to be that Big Ben checks the ball down a ton and Harris is not going to see that target share. But uh, you basically just proved that he will see that target share. Now, the question gets into what's the overall volume of that passing offense. Um, Steelers were fourth most pass attempts in the league last year as an offense. I don't think they're going to be that with Trubisky or Pickett under center. So last year, Najee Harris tied with Austin Eckler, most targets in the league at running back. What do you think this year? Um, what can we expect from Najee Harris in the Steelers offense? Yeah, as you said, I think the important part here is – what we're going to project the Steelers total pass attempts to look like. I think it's going to come down. As you said, um, they threw a ton last year and a lot of Harris's targets were a product of that. Um, I still think he's going to earn that target share, but with rookie quarterback likely in there, I am just not overly bullish on Harris improving on his receiving production. If he is going to improve on what he did last year, it's going to be via better efficiency on the ground. 
Uh, he was actually among the least efficient running backs uh, carrying the ball last year. So whether you want to say that that's because he's kind of a plotter or just because he wasn't in too great of a situation with that offensive line, I think that's a Rorsatch test, but I'm not going to be super overweight on Harris this year. I, as of now, I'm, maybe new information will come to light and I'll change my mind, but I'm just kind of whatever on him at the moment. Yeah. I just, I think the Steelers are a fascinating situation because I mean, pretty much any way you grade it, Ben Roethlisberger was not good last year. And the reason they had so many passing attempts is because it was all three, four, five yard passes. So um, that's great for fantasy football. I do think that they can, like you said, have better efficiency, more downfield threat. I mean, they have the players to get downfield. That's for sure with Claypool and Deontay Johnson and um, now George Pickens. So it's like, I don't know. I, I I think that there's kind of a give and take on the Steelers this year. And I'm really interested to see how that settles. Uh, I am still pretty bullish on Harris. I do think we can probably expect a, a check down on the targets though. But I, I think some people might really project it to Crater and uh, we probably should not count on that happening. So uh, a little more on Harris later when we get to our best ball drafts, I'm sure. So um, another player I want to talk about um, at the running back position with a change at quarterback is Javante Williams. Uh, he feels like um, he's right at that cutoff at running back, uh, ADP 25, RB 13, an underdog, which actually feels really responsible. I'd, I'd be surprised if he's that low come the time the season starts. But he's right at that cutoff where uh, if we start buying into the hype, he is going to spike uh, in drafts, I think, and make it up to the first round pretty quick. So um, what are your your takes here on Javante Williams with this Broncos offense that suddenly now has Russell Wilson instead of Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Locke? Yeah, Russell Wilson being at the helm definitely raises the ceiling for everybody involved in Denver. Um, but I really hope that Javante Williams ADP doesn't increase over the summer. I, it's really at the point right now where I'm happy to take some shots in best fall because I recognize there is a ceiling there. But as far as median outcome, I we can't just assume that Melvin Gordon is going to go away completely. I think he's in line for a 40, 45% opportunity share minimum. And what that leaves for Javante Williams is not really an RB one type of workload. I think we're probably just kind of looking with rose colored glasses right now in June at the exciting young running back. And I don't know, I, I could actually see his ADP falling uh, like more solid, solidly into the third round. At that point, I might be more interested, um, but I think Williams is the type of player that if you're building a best ball portfolio, you should take a few shots on because the ceiling is there. I, I'd even really compare him to Antonio Gibson last year. I think he's the type of player that could certainly win you a league or put you over the top, but the median outcome when we consider all of the competition for touches is not that exciting. Right. Um, I mean, it's a little bit like the Steelers situation here. There's some give and take um, with the change of quarterback. It's really encouraging. Javante Williams had a 10% rookie target share. Um, if you get a bigger piece of the pie, you know, going forward with a better quarterback, that could really be exciting, even in a part-time role. Uh, but then you look at the Seahawks last year, um, you know, Seattle with Russell Wilson had the second fewest passing attempts in the league. Now, yes, he was hurt last year and battling an injury, but um, he did not come from a pass-heavy team last year. Uh, Denver had the ninth fewest passing attempts last year. 
can we get up to the middle of the pack maybe? That's how Seattle was two years ago with Wilson, uh, middle of the pass, pack and passing attempts. Seattle was always really slow-paced on offense. I don't know if that carries over with Russell Wilson or changes with a new coordinator. Like I, I think the piece of the pie here is an interesting way to look at Williams. And then, of course, if, if something happens to Melvin Gordon, um, that's a huge boost. And I don't think they're limiting Williams on purpose necessarily. Like I, I think he would get the full load if, if Melvin Gordon went down. It's just I do think they like Melvin Gordon, and it's a way to keep him fresh. So I don't know. I think Williams has some blow-up potential if this offense is as good as it could be, if they're a little up-tempo, uh, up uh, throw the ball a lot. And, you know, if, if Melvin Gordon misses a few games, then obviously it's huge. So I think I'm a little more bullish on Williams than you, but I do totally understand it. Like it's – we, we talk about players like Melvin Gordon every year that they're just going to disappear and the coaching staff's going to go with the younger player, and it, it never happens. Yeah, but I, as you said, it is tantalizing. Like, you, yeah. it's it's completely understandable why you would fall in love with potential like this. Like I, And yeah, as I said, he you are irresponsible to not draft at least some Javante Williams if you're drafting a ton of best ball teams. Yep. And in the best ball draft I had, he's kind of the edge of the cliff at running back because after him uh, went Saquon Barkley, James Conner. Then there's a big gap before we get to like Zeke and Brees Hall and some others. So he is kind of the edge edge of that first two round running back tier, I think. Um, I, you could sneak Saquon in there, I'm sure. But um, yeah, it, it's it's an interesting stance you have to take early on in your draft if you're picking maybe at the beginning and you have that that back two, three turn coming back. So uh, we'll be talking about Javante Williams all offseason, I'm sure of that. It's not going to end anytime soon. Another player we're going to talk a lot about is Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Uh, you actually mentioned Edwards-Hilaire in your article. He's the ADP 78 on underdog RB26. Uh, it sounds like you think there's some optimism if we kind of just throw out last year. Is that, does that sound about right? Yeah, I mean, that's really the type of mental gymnastics that we have to go through <laughs> when we're looking this late in ADP for players that have high target upside. Um, and I like that really I did come to this conclusion by just sorting by career target shares and last year's target shares and comparing to ADP. And CEH really just sticks out as far as having potential for a high target share like he had in his rookie year uh, versus how late he's being drafted. And when you add in that it's on the Kansas City Chiefs offense who have consistently been top three in passing attempts over the last few years, there, there's reason to actually get excited at this type of price. It's not like you're having to shell out a second or a third round pick for him like you have in years past. And CEH is going to run hot on touchdowns one of these years. It's uh, kind of amazing that he hasn't posted like an outlier touchdown rate yet being on the Chiefs, um, but it could easily happen. And if it does, when he's going in the seventh round, uh, he's going to advance a lot of best ball teams. Yeah, a few things on Clyde Edwards-Hilaire lately. The, so the rumors have been flying around. Or it's not even rumors, but apparently before last offseason, he had gallbladder surgery. It was down to like 160 pounds going into training camp, which somehow was not reported before last season. Uh, so that is maybe one reason to write off last year a little bit as a weird year because Edwards-Hilaire was just way underweight. Uh, I think he's usually around 200, 210 pounds. So uh, that could be kind of a, a reason to look past last year's disappointing performance. Um, like you said, on that offense, it's always interesting. And then, you know, as you bring up in your article, I mean, if we're going to say that a running back's target share kind of follows him around, 
Uh, Ronald jo Jones joins the team. Uh, not a noted pass catcher, Ronald Jones. Um, I think Tom Brady probably had a part in running him out of town. So it's not like, you know, Ronald Jones might steal some touchdowns, but he's not going to steal the passing game work. And I mean, that's what we've just been begging from Edwards Flair is we, when we drafted him as a first round pick as a rookie is we thought we were getting seven, eight, nine target games. And we just haven't seen that. So I don't know if we're ever going to get to that breakout status with Edwards Flair, but yeah, I, I agree with you when you're drafting around Josh Jacobs, David Montgomery, Kenneth Walker, Elijah Mitchell, like that feels a lot better to take a shot on CEH there than it would have in the third or fourth round. Yeah. And I mean, the chiefs have kind of shown so far this off season that they have some amount of confidence in Edwards Allaire. As you said, Ronald Jones was the only real addition that's career 5% target share. Ronald Jones, uh, yeah. even playing with Tom Brady who loves Serrano running backs, even though that doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> and the only other backfield addition was a seventh round rookie who was not a crazy pass catcher in college, Isaiah Pacheco. So there's, room to get excited here i will say that ceh's adp is up like half a round since mm -hmm. i originally made this observation uh, a couple weeks ago on twitter so if he starts creeping up into like sixth round fifth round i'm gonna lose interest very quickly um just given the opportunity cost of the wide receivers that are in that area but yeah for now i think ceh is a good selection, especially for like some more zero RB teams. I think CEH in the seventh round is a logical starting point for a running back room in that situation. Yep. And another reason to not push him too high is we always talk about these backfields like they are set in stone now, um, but especially contenders like the Chiefs, like there's no telling that they don't bring back Jarek McKinnon. Uh, there's no telling that they don't sign some dusty veteran a week before the season. And all of a sudden he's the lead running back. Like we, we see this happen all the time. So I do think that CEH is in a bit of a precarious spot, even though it looks like it cleared out, but Hey, Daryl Williams is gone for now. Jarek McKinnon's gone. It has cleared out some. So yeah, it, it's going to be a fine line. I, I think you draft him a lot. Like you said, in that seventh round, maybe that's more like the Miles Sanders, AJ Dillon, Elijah Mitchell range. Uh, but if he gets too much higher, maybe take a shot on some of the higher upside guys, I would say. So, all right, enough about CEH. Um, we can argue about him plenty later this year. Um, next up, uh, this was one that I kind of want to talk about here. And this is James, James Cook, uh, the rookie running back for the Buffalo Bills. Because it just kind of occurred to me that, you know, we're talking about running back target shares. We're talking about big passing offenses with a lot to go around. What if, uh, you know, what if James Cook is just a really good receiving running back and he demands that target share that his talent would say in this Buffalo offense? That sounds like a, a smash spot to me. Uh, you know, Devin Singletary, he's a smaller back, but he's only topped out at 50 targets uh, each of the past two seasons. Um, he's even been replaced by Zach Moss at times in, in the passing game. I know Moss is kind of done now, it looks like, but uh, Moss was catching more passes there for a little bit than Singletary. So I don't know if, if if James Cook is really as good as build comes in and draws a big target share in this Bill's offense. I mean, ADP of 107, RB 34, he's easily going to pay off on that. So uh, do you think I'm missing something here with Cook? I, I I know this is obvious, like good offense, pass catching running back, like that's a good thing, but um, he, what if, what's to say that he's not a 10 plus percent target share running back? Yeah, I'm all over James cook. I think this is actually a perfect, um, example of people galaxy braining themselves out of, uh, potential high target share running backs in in high volume offenses. Yeah. I, the line is, oh, well, Josh Allen is a running quarterback and running quarterbacks check down less. Mm -hmm. Um, that's true, but that's not because 
running quarterbacks have something in their brain that makes them throw to running backs less. It's because when they rush, that's taking a pass attempt out of the offense. But we're talking about the Buffalo Bills, who have been a high volume passing offense for the last two years with Josh Allen. So that's it to me. That's not a real concern. That's like a fake concern that is luckily keep keeping his ADP down. Yeah. I'm drafting a bunch of James cook. I don't mind Singletary either. He's they're basically going right next to each other in ADP on underdog right now. I think shots on either of them make sense. I'll probably be heavier on the cook side, but yeah, I think there's real value here and I, this might be a player that starts to get really steamed as the off season goes on. Um, I like maybe one really cool catch in training camp, like sends his ADP <laughs> up three rounds that that feels like this type of situation, but this is why we draft early. Yeah, definitely. Um, I took in my best ball draft on underdog. I took Devin Singletary uh, ninth round at 105, which I really like that value. Uh, but Cook went just about six picks later. And I hadn't really considered him along with this piece that you wrote at the time. And now that I've seen it, I don't know. I might be tempted to flip-flop and take Cook instead of Singletary. So I think it really it kind of comes down to upside versus uh, dependability there. But uh, James Cook looks to be in a, at least a high upside spot, I would say. Okay. Next up, uh, kind of a similar type player here. We've got Chase Edmonds. He is ADP of 110 on underdog, RB35 off the board. Um, you sound like you think he's a pretty underrated PPR option here in Miami. Yeah, I don't get why everybody hates Chase Edmonds now. Um, it, I guess it's because James Conner scored all the touchdowns last year. Um, I Personally, that makes me hate James Conner as <laughs> someone that had to get on this podcast every single week and say that Chase Edmonds was going to actually score this week. I promise it'll be this week, guys. Um, but when we zoom out and just kind of look at Edmonds' profile here, I he's got a career target share of about 8%. It was 11% last year. You don't find guys that have put up those types of target shares in the 10th round of drafts usually. And he's likely the lead back on this Miami Dolphins offense. I, there's no other Dolphin being drafted ahead of him. It's just Raheem Mostert, who over on over under two and a half games for Raheem Mostert this year. What are we thinking? <laughs> I've been taking the under on that for about five years, so I, I'll, I'll stick on the under with Raheem Mostert. Yeah, and then Sony Michelle, who good player. I like Sony Michelle. Never has commanded a lot of targets. I think Edmonds has a chance to step into this high volume passing offense and be a serviceable option, especially this late. Um, another player that I'm drafting on all of my zero RB teams. I, I just think people are overthinking this because they're mad at him for last year or something, or they right. think <laughs> he's terrible because James Connors better. I don't know. Right. And I mean, I don't think it's, it's not a bad thing to be on the other side of the uh, Cliff Kingsbury player evaluation. So you might be our, you might end up looking right on that one, but I mean, I'll tell you what it is with Miami. It's, it's Mike McDaniel, uh, new head coach comes from San Francisco. Everyone sees them running out to acquire new running backs and they see full blown committee here, but at running back 35, you can take a running back. That's a part of a committee. Um, he's in the more valuable part of that committee catching passes and, you know, I, I've been taking a ton of Sony Michelle, like real late in dynasty drafts, um, late in, in best balls. But I mean, I'm, I'm taking him late. Um, he can soak up some volume, score some touchdowns. But I'd say he's a worse version of James Conner, I think, at least last year, James Conner. So, yeah, I, I think there's some 
upside here. Edmonds looked like he was ready to lift off a few times last year. So I'm on board with you. I haven't really taken him much yet, but I need to get on board. Um, I, I guess it, it's the committee that worries people. And then it's also having Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle out there just drawing tons of targets. But this Dolphins team, they, they pass a lot and uh, that should open some things up underneath. So yeah, I, I think I'm on board with you, uh, Chase Evans. Yeah, it really is as simple as that. I, I, he's one that I had a hard time like writing a lot of things down for because it almost feels like I'm missing something. Like it, yeah. he should be getting hyped because of Mike McDaniel. Isn't this what we do with every other like Shanahan system running back? Is we say that he's gonna be, just be a weekly RB one anytime he plays? Like, isn't that isn't that what people's expectations were? If you rewind like two years for any running back that was anywhere close to Kyle Shanahan. Yeah. And we've seen it pay off Shanahan running backs that are cheap. We've seen them pay off, not drafting one in the third round, but you know, a cheap one does pay off. So yeah, I'm right there with you. And like, I mean, I think Raheem Mostert, you mentioned him earlier. He's like Tevin Coleman on the jets. Like they, they brought him in to just kind of teach the offense. I think to the running backs, be a veteran presence. They probably like him, but I'm not worried about Raheem Mostert when it comes to Chase Edmonds. So, okay. Well, that wraps up the article. Please check it out on the website. Um, I, I, I'm going to keep an eye out for some players that this negatively impacts. Um, I, I was having a harder or an easier time coming up with players. I think could get a boost from this and uh, I'm going to keep a lookout going forward. Just some players, maybe a quarterback change, uh, some running backs that could hurt their target share, but, uh, or maybe we're overinflating the change. Um, so I'm going to keep looking at this. We'll update you throughout the off season. There'll be plenty of time to recap this further, but it's a really great article. So check it out. Um, but let's get into our favorite part of fantasy football drafting. Uh, that's why we are all about best ball right now. Uh, QB list discord channel. Uh, you know, we've got the, uh, we've got the best ball discord channel fired up within uh, QB list. We're, we're, we're drafting now the, the, the puppy is a $5 entry tournament. So it's a little easier to uh, sink your money into it on uh, June 1st uh, with the season quite a bit away. Um, 111,000 teams are going to end up filling this tournament. Uh, $75,000 to first place, 18 roster spots. Uh, we are not sponsored by Underdog Best Ball, but if you are anywhere on uh, football Twitter, uh, football YouTube, wherever it is, uh, it's kind of all Underdog Best Ball right now. So we got to get in on this, talk about some drafts. And uh, it's a good way to, it's almost like a mock draft, you know, with a little bit of skin in the game. So um, we're going to go through uh, my draft, um, Ryan's draft. We were in different drafts. Uh, that's the way the puppy works on Underdog. But um, we're going to go through these. Um, how excited are you though, Ryan? I know best ball season, this is your time. Yeah, I'm so ready for best ball summer. I sank way too much money into it last year. Um, honestly did not win very much, uh, but I'm redoubling my efforts this year. I don't know if I'm going to max enter the puppy. I don't, I don't know if I can justify that amount of money on a, uh, on, on a newly graduated college student salary, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Hey, I graduated a long time ago, and uh, the $25 entry best ball mania is too rich for my blood, so I, I feel you on that one. I've, I only did a couple underdogs last year. I'm going to do a lot more this year. I did a lot of like Yahoo, just 12-team $1 last year, best balls, because those are fun because it, it really is just a mock draft. So want a little bit of money on there, but I need to up, up the stakes this year. So let's get into um, our first draft in the puppy for underdog best ball. Um, lots of great graphics that goes along with this tournament as well. So uh, make sure you follow them on Twitter. But so for my draft, uh, I drafted out of the nine spot, um, a little bit of an in-between spot, I think, in drafts this year. Uh, I'm not going to go through my entire draft here, but just to give you an idea of the team I ended up with, um, I have uh, Dak Prescott, Matthew Stafford, a quarterback, Najee Harris, Brees Hall, 
um, in some depth at running back, CD Lamb, Deontay Johnson, Amari Cooper, receiver. Um, you know, there's more depth there, but I went really late on tight end. We'll go through uh, some of these picks specifically, but I learned the lesson uh, and I, I will remember this my next draft. I typically don't worry about bye weeks. Um, it's not something that I stress over, uh, but it does matter in best ball drafts. And um, I looked down after a few rounds and realized that I had a, a player with a week nine buy that was my first round pick, second round pick, third round pick, and fifth round pick. So I was like, I need some non-week nine bye weeks. And I kept wanting to draft players that were week nine bye weeks, of course, going forward. Um, and I, that's kind of how I ended up in the seventh and eighth round. Um, I, I doubled up on Dak Prescott and Matthew Stafford. It was kind of a weird in-between spot, and I just didn't like a lot of the players in the draft there. And at least those are good quarterbacks, and I know they're going to bank me points all season. So um, I would have preferred to have drafted Dak and then waited a bit longer on my second quarterback. Um, but, you know, that's how quarterbacks shaked out. I, I thought that those two quarterbacks were strong enough. I didn't need a third. But um, really the foundation of my draft out of the nine is Najee Harris um, at pick nine, and then I came back with C.D. Lamb at pick 16. Um, Najee Harris, I know there are reasons to be down on him with that that change of quarterback in Pittsburgh, like we talked about, but uh, I just think he's one of the rare bell cow running backs that is not up there in age. So I, I just think there's a million ways he pays off there. Um, I may have, you know, pushed it a little bit, taking Deontay Johnson to pair with Najee Harris, two Steelers. I don't love that, but um, Deontay Johnson just, he demands targets. Speaking of targets, I mean, every year in the league, he's, he's demanded more. He topped out at 169 last year, had 144 the year before. I think Deontay Johnson is very underrated and maybe a little more explosiveness in this passing game makes him a little more interesting. So other than that, um, I was pretty happy with the depth I built out towards the end. Uh, a few of my favorite picks, I really liked Brees Hall at pick 40, actually. I am not um, necessarily all that in on the Jets this year. But I just felt where he went in the draft. The running backs around Brees Hall were right before him was uh, Ezekiel Elliott. And then Cam Akers, Antonio Gibson, J.K. Dobbins. Like, I'll take Brees Hall right there in a huge tournament and, you know, hope for the upside here. I mean, that's what we're going for is upside. And I, I do think he's got some unknown upside that could win you a tournament like this. So he was a favorite pick. Um, Rashad Penny in the 10th round as an RB4. I just I like the upside there. Um, he rushed for 135 or more yards and for the last five weeks last year. And hey, if he goes back to Rashad Penny injury related issues, he's my RB4. I'll be just fine. But I think there's a good chance he's just better than Kenny Walker. And then um, I, I was I really waited on the tight ends and I was happy about that because I, I think if you don't get an early one, you might as well just wait. And I got Hayden Hurst in the second to last round, which I could see six, seven, eight touchdowns coming from Joe Burrow for him. And I don't mind. I mean, I know it's not exciting, but Tyler Higby, Hayden Hurst. And I, I took my boy Tyler Conklin in the last round just to get a player that maybe not a lot of people drafted. So I kind of would rather just go with the boring tight ends late. So um, we'll get into some more of my takes on this draft. But Ryan, uh, you're here to review my roster. Uh, be as kind as you want. Be as mean as you want. Um, go through this draft for me. Let me know what you think of my first, uh, my first underdog best ball of the year. Well, Eric. <laughs> the first thing that I look at whenever I'm looking at a best ball roster is the construction. So how many players at each position you have. Um, I think yours makes a lot of sense. You have two quarterbacks, five running backs, eight receivers and three tight ends. Um, just as kind of a general rule of thumb, eight receivers is about as low as I think is responsible to go. I've drafted seven receiver teams, but I, I don't really end up liking them most of the time. Um, so I think you're doing pretty well there. Um, 
the two quarterbacks make sense because it's Dak and Stafford. Those are both like top eight or nine round picks. So you definitely don't want to be triple dipping on the position when you've already invested that much capital. I think you've overall made a lot of good decisions here. The three late tight ends is something I like to do a lot myself as well. Um, really for me, it's, it's either Kyle Pitts or just mm-hmm. three random tight ends late in drafts. I, I'm not a big fan of the position this year or any year, but other than that, it's just to get into some players in your stacks. Um, you do have both Harris and Deontay Johnson. I don't know how much I love it. We talked about the Steelers earlier, obviously. I think there's a not a ton of upside to stacking those two. I think they're kind of negatively correlated in like a if if the Steelers offense is good I think they're negatively correlated but if the offense is bad then they're both going to disappoint um I just am not in love with the idea of a rookie quarterback especially for Deontay Johnson that really does worry me a lot and you took him seven spots ahead of ADP and it's not as if these are cheap players either um but then on the Cowboys side of your stack, I really like it. I think the Dak Lamb stack is really interesting this year. CD Lamb is somebody that hasn't really honestly lived up to our expectations so far in his career. I, right. His ADP is almost two rounds higher than it was this time last year, even though he didn't really outperform it this past year. Um and that that's because there's less target competition. Um, the targets are going to be more concentrated likely in this offense. If CD can take a big third year jump, then this is going to end up looking great for you. Um, so I, I think it makes sense to take shots like that. And so the, the Cowboys stack is more attainable this year and that you only need lamb Dak. You don't have to, try to snake lamb cooper dak like i was trying to do a lot last year and Mm -hmm. failing for it so yeah yeah yeah. i went i took the route i I tried to force in dak uh cd lamb and dalton schultz and i just i couldn't get myself to pay the price for dalton schultz i I just hate drafting tight ends at all early uh so i kind of took jalen tolbert late um as my kind of secondary stack on dak I'm just kind of fading a lot of these players like Michael Gallup this year. We had a lot of late season injuries last year that everyone's just kind of looking at the name and saying, oh, Gallup will be back out there and he'll be ready to go. It, it's it's a serious injury he's coming back from. So I don't know. I, I think things have really opened up for C.D. Lamb. That's a big reason why I liked him there. But, um, yeah, I think even Jalen Tolbert, the rookie, could get some looks. So, um, yeah, I, I just thought that was a nice, like, super late, like, second to last uh, receiver I took uh, to add a little upside to this team. Yeah, I agree. And receiver does get really, really ugly late in best ball drafts. So I, I think that's I think that's a good time to like hit your secondary and tertiary pieces in your stacks because at that point you have to be correct about less things for in in order to succeed. You don't have to somehow hit on like a fifteenth round receiver. You mm-hmm. can just kind of naturally be carried by your stack if it does end up hitting. Yeah. So let's talk, let's talk about receivers a little bit after we get through your draft. I had some takeaways, just kind of the position as a whole, but um, yeah, overall, I just, uh, you know, I think keep an eye on bye weeks I wouldn't let it 
I wouldn't let it decide your strategy, but it definitely, when you look through five or six rounds and five of your players of the same bye week, it, it does start to restrict you a little bit if you have more week nine buys that you want coming up. So uh, keep an eye on those, even if you're not going to let it alter your strategy. And um, again, when we get to the receivers later, there's some receivers you really need to take a stance on this year. And I would be ready. Uh, make sure you know how you feel about Devontae Adams, uh, Tyree Kill, Jalen Waddle. There, there's some you're going to be put on the test to some of these receivers. So make sure. But we'll talk about that later. Um, I, I think that covers most of my thoughts from my draft. Um, it was one of the weirder ones. I don't think this would be like my stereotypical team you would see after about 20 drafts. Uh, so I, I think probably the next one I do will be a little bit more uh, up my alley. But other than, you know, kind of having to force in Matthew Stafford earlier than I would have liked, I, I do like the roster overall. So, um, all right, Ryan, time for your draft here. Um, you have the same roster construction as me, but we only share one player. So uh, go for it. What did you think of your draft? Yeah, I, I, that was the first thing I noticed when you sent me your roster was some, somehow we had the exact same <laughs> amount, amount of players at each position. Um, so just overall kind of going into this, my thought process, um, I don't like most of the running backs in the first two rounds this year. Um, I am on board with Taylor and McCaffrey at the top of drafts. But other than that, I think I'm going to be drafting a lot of wide receivers early. Um, for reasons that I'm sure we're going to get more into throughout the offseason. Um, so with that in mind, I started out my draft with Cooper Cup at the four spot. And then my next three picks were Leonard Fournette, Keenan Allen, and Justin Herbert. So I got that immediate Chargers stack right there. Nice. Um, I really like that start, but it's also likely to be not unique it's probably going to be pretty popular because it, it's very in line with the adps of all those players um those are probably pretty stable players i don't see any of those players like rapidly swinging up or down in adp throughout the summer um and obviously there's a popular stack in there with keenan and herbert so Really, through the rest of my draft, I wanted to find ways to get more unique since this is a tournament that we're trying to win. So when, the way that I did that was a Brown stack. I got Deshaun Watson as my second quarterback at pick 117, and I paired him with David Bell at pick 141. Um this is kind of getting into like why we draft early or what you should be thinking about when you draft early in the off season, you are signing up to lose some percentage of your draft picks to preseason injuries. Um, and that is a disadvantage that your rosters are going to have versus ones that are drafted in the third or fourth week of August. Um, but what we do get when we draft early is the discounts on players in uncertain situations like Deshaun Watson. If he plays most of the season this year, then getting him in double digit rounds is a massive advantage for any best ball team that was drafted when he was available there. And if he doesn't play a majority of the games, well, this team is probably dead anyway. So who, so at yeah. that point, why does it matter? You've got, you've got to lean into the, places where you can possibly get into some positive variance early in the off season. So that's mm -hmm. kind of, kind of my thought process. And then I just want to mention that basically every best ball tournament team I draft, I try to have at least one week 17 game stack. 
Um, one of the more popular ones is having both Chiefs and Broncos on your team because that's a likely high-scoring game that is happening Week 17. Right. Um, but the Rams and Chargers actually play each other in Week 17, so that worked out pretty good. And then late in the draft, I added J.D. McKissick because Washington plays Cleveland in Week 17. So I thought that those were... If somehow this roster does make it to week 17, it will be set up to place well. Um, Just kind of going through a couple other picks. um, I got Tony Pollard at pick number 100. I was not a Tony Pollard person last year. Uh, This year, I think it makes a lot more sense. There's a lot more touches on Zeke's Zeke's tires, I guess you might say. Uh, Pollard has proven that he does have standalone value even with Zeke healthy. So he can make sense as a depth option at running back and obviously has massive contingent upside if he captures a larger workload or if Zeke gets hurt. Um, And then my last favorite pick was Gerald Everett at pick 172. He's on the Chargers now, if you didn't know that. So he was my third tight end. I drafted three kind of late tight ends, Zach Ertz, Alberto, and Gerald Everett. He adds to that Chargers stack. Uh, He's someone that just could fire at any point. I I just am always a sucker for the athletic tight ends on the high-volume pass offenses. I drafted a bunch of him last year, and it didn't work out, but we're still doing it at pick 172, so... (laughs) <laughs> That's overall kind of how I'm feeling about my draft. I didn't feel like I made any huge mistakes. I didn't love the Albert O pick at 148. Um, probably would have preferred a wide receiver there rather than a tight end just because the position dries up so quickly and tight ends are a dime a dozen at the end of drafts. Right. Yeah, and speaking to uh, – we were talking about uh, Deshaun Watson and the uncertainty earlier. Uh, I got Amari Cooper in mind, like almost a full round after his ADP. So people are obviously panicking um, about the news, and who knows when that comes out. But, again, we're, we're trying to win the tournament, so taking on risk uh, is not necessarily a bad thing if it gets you some extra value. So um, you don't want to just make you know stupid risky picks, but if you can take, a, take some risk that uh, improves the upside of your team, I do think it's worth it. So – um, yeah, no, I was just looking at your draft here. Um, I wasn't sure on your running backs at first. Um, Fournette at age 27 and then CEH as your top two running backs. I kind of wondered, do you really have that upside there? Like the, the league winning upside at running back? I, I think Fournette's going to be consistent, um, but it's hard to expect he keeps doing this. Maybe Brady just drags him along with him. We'll see. But um, but but the more I looked at it, I mean, I think your upside plays are Tony Pollard and then Khalil Herbert, who... Uh, is the only player that we both drafted that bears backup running back. Uh, you got him at pick 165. I got him at pick 177. Um, I really think, like, I mean, in a best ball league like this, he could be just a smash spot for you if if uh, D- uh, David Montgomery gets hurt. I mean, this this roster is really thin overall on offense. Um, and at running back, it's David Montgomery, it's Khalil Herbert, and then Darrington Evans and Treston Ebner, who I think was a sixth-round rookie. There's, like, there's nothing there at running back. So, if you, you know, we don't want, we hate rooting for injuries, but if something happens to Montgomery, we saw what Herbert could do last year. And it, it, that's a ton of upside there. So I, I do think you built the running back group uh, smartly. You've got some stability up top and then some, some upside. So uh, I kind of came around on your running backs the more I thought about it. Um, other than that, like uh, maybe one too many rookie receivers. Um, you have Drake London, Sky Moore, and David Bell, but 
it's hard to argue with their value um, and they're in good spots. And then, like you said, I probably would have passed on Albert O. It's not that I don't like Albert O, but I, there's just a ton of late tight end options. And once you get past about round, I don't know, maybe 10, uh, 11, Fryermuth at 11 in the 11th round, uh, it just kind of feels like everyone's the same. So um, I'm tending to wait a tight end, but that's pretty nitpicking if you're talking about a late round tight end. So yeah, I, I thought it was a nice roster um, and it's going to come down to Watson, but we'll, we'll see how that goes. Yeah, I agree with most of your thoughts. Um, as far as the rookie receivers go, I, I don't usually mind drafting them, especially in best ball leagues where you are looking for wide ranges of outcomes and trying to lean into variance. Um, yeah. I, I will say Drake London is not my preferred receiver to go with in the sixth round. Um, mm-hmm. I really like Amon Ross St. Brown and Elijah Moore around there. I g- generally prefer the sophomore wide receivers um, that have shown something in their rookie years and are yeah. likely to take a step forward. Um, but both of those players were gone by the time I picked. Um, my build kind of had forced me into taking a wide receiver at that point because they do dry up very quickly. So Drake London, it was, I don't mind it. I think there's a lot of potential targets in that offense for him. Um, And he is one where if he hits, I think he's going to be crazy good. So he he's a rookie. I don't mind drafting in seasonal. Yeah, and it's funny. It shook out the exact same way in my draft. I got him on Ross A. Brown at pick uh, 64 in the sixth round. Next receiver off the board at pick 69, Drake London. So uh, that's kind of the range we're talking about there. Um, So, yeah, I I think that's a good recap of our drafts. Um, But I'd like to get into some just kind of bigger picture stuff. And I I think it's really receiver that we need to talk about. Like running back, it's pretty clear who the first and second round running backs are. I think we all know how to kind of attack this position with some upside, with some depth later on, not reach on some of these dead zone guys. But I found myself struggling at receiver quite a bit. It didn't help to be sniped a little bit, but you really feel the effect of switching Tyreek Hill into a new situation, switching Devontae Adams into a new situation, uh, seeing Jalen Waddle get, you know, sniped by Tyreek Hill joining the team. Like there's this chain reaction of all these players with the quarterback movement, DK Metcalf, uh, Tyler Lockett, how do we value them without these, without uh, Russell Wilson throwing them the ball? Like receiver was tough for me. And there are some really good ones early. And by about round seven or eight or so, it really starts drying up for me. And I was struggling. That's kind of why I ended up with those two quarterbacks in round seven and eight, and then a few running backs. So I didn't take another one until round 11. That was Jacoby Myers. Did you find the same thing at receiver? Like there's kind of a stretch there in the middle of the draft where you just kind of don't know what you're targeting and what you can bank on and where the upside is. Yes. One of my <laughs> biggest rules of thumb in best fall is try to have at least five receivers by round nine, because after that, there just aren't any target shares that you can bank on anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say Christian Kirk is probably my wide receiver firewall. He's like okay. that last guy that I feel great about. I think his ADP is in like the eighth round right now. It gets pretty ugly after that. You're taking shots on like situ better in best ball situational deep threats that never seem to work out the way we want. Um, Like really speculative rookies like David Bell types of players. Yeah, Yeah. you really whether you are going running back or receiver in the first couple rounds, you need to make sure that you are even building upon that with a really solid foundation in those rounds three through seven because 
you that it is the most scarce position. Like you, you can get JD McKissick in the second to last round at running back. Like he's going to have usable weeks in best ball this year. I can't really say the same for Kendrick Bourne, who's going right next to him at the receiver position. So yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Wide receiver as always is really, really should be your focus in best ball. Yeah, and I kind of found myself passing on them round seven through ten. I mean, the receivers I took rounds eleven through thirteen, three in a row. I know they're not, you know, uh, there's a reason they're being drafted down there, but I felt almost as good about I took Jacoby Myers, Van Jefferson, and Jalen Tolbert. Like, there's some upside there. There's some stability with Myers. Like, I felt almost as good as about them as some of these guys going in the middle rounds. Like Alan Lazard, who knows if he takes a leap. Chris Alave, we just talked about how little the Saints threw last year. Like. Marquez Valdez Scantling I know it's a new team but are we doing that again like Kenny Galladay like I just found myself on this whole group just being like you know I'd rather just take Jacoby Myers in the 11th round so um, it's it's important to see these trends just because it can really affect like round two are you going to take CeeDee Lamb or DeAndre Swift like it can really uh, guide your decision there when you know what's coming in the later rounds yeah, and I think it is important to mix it up some yeah. if you're drafting a bunch of teams. Um, people get really into the debates and arguments about, well, is Hero RB a better strategy? Is Zero RB a better strategy? Should we go Robust RB and draft three of them in the first five rounds? Um, and people will kind of hold up the advance rates from the last couple years as evidence to their points um but this is really a small sample like i I think it's pretty noisy and very dependent on individual players hitting uh like last year i i think the best advance rate was basically one running back in the first two rounds and then a ton of receivers for a while um but the reason for that is all those guys were hitting on jonathan taylor and like DeAndre Swift and Najee Harris. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's not going to happen every year. Like the, those hit rates at different positions are going to be different in the draft and the extent to which they hit as well. So it it is probably going to be years from now before we can definitively say that this type of build works best in best ball. Yep. And I, I mean, I know I've, I feel like I've been talking about it for about a year now, but we're just, we're really hitting that transitional period. I think with running backs in the league where, a lot of these first round running backs are 27 or older. Uh, they're all getting up there in the age and the the new, uh, you know, fresh group of running backs got delayed by a bunch of injuries. I mean, you see someone like JK Dobbins, who's going in the fifth round ETN is in the fifth round. Those would have been second round picks if they had stayed healthy, you know, like throughout their careers. Like we kind of had um, it, the running back position hollowed out a little bit. And as soon as these older running backs uh, kind of bite the bullet, uh, and it's going to come like one after another, it's going to get messy at running backs. So, yeah, I would not look at past year's rates too much. I would just look more at like roster construction, like making sure you have the right number at a position. Um, and then always kind of trying to get a little uh, something to differentiate your team from the other teams. So I think those are the big things I'm looking at in a, a massive tournament like this, because I mean, it's really, we're doing this for fun. Um, it, it's not the most plus EV uh, best ball league to join because all the money goes to first place in this thing. So this is really for fun. If you really want to grind out the profits, I think you just do some 12 team best balls, but um, yeah, you might as well differentiate if you're going to try to win first place in these. Yeah. Agree completely. Yeah. You, you can't be thinking of it um, as like, this is 
my big investment that is gonna <laughs> that is gonna hit it big. Um, I the yeah, as I said, the sample sizes are too small. Um, the prizes are all at the top, so it can be fun to optimize for that and think about how you're gonna make different decisions um, based on trying to win a tournament. Um, yeah. but it's not it's it it's none of this is guaranteed in one singular season for sure yeah and i I mean i would recommend everyone like when you get to the last two rounds like take your guys especially if they're players that don't get drafted usually because that's going to give you a a unique lineup i mean you know i was just looking at the jaguars backfield and uh if james connor or i'm sorry if uh, james robinson doesn't come back well from his injury and something happens to etn like Snoop Connor, like maybe scoop him up. Like he's someone on the roster that a lot of people aren't going to draft. And uh, it could certainly fall that way where all of a sudden he's getting touches as a rookie on the Jaguars. So like, feel free to go get somebody weird in the last round or two, because they're probably not going to pay off a lot. And they actually can hit for you pretty well. It's, it's, it's the big difference between best ball and redraft because in redraft, you don't need to draft them. You can just pick them up in in four weeks off waivers. So lots to think about here in best ball. We'll get into some kind of higher level thinking as we get into the summer. We kind of wanted this as a, uh, a kind of intro, get our feet wet, see what it looks like right now. But um, what do you think, Ryan, you got any other big takeaways, just your strategy, this draft, just best ball thoughts in general. I'll just leave you with the player that I like to draft in the last round on underdog uh, Khalil Shakir fifth round wide receiver uh, on the Buffalo bills. Uh, The difference between him and Gabe Davis in draft capital is like 10 picks or something like that. Um, He's a guy I really liked as a prospect. He was really productive at a young age. Um, I joked on draft day that now I get to pretend to believe in a day three wide receiver to own all the Gabe Davis people. Uh Um, So he's who I'm hammering in that last round. I think there's a lot of contingent upside there. I am drafting Davis a little bit as well, too, just to be clear, because there is definitely a ceiling with him there. Um, but yeah, Khalil Shakir is who I'm planting the flag on there late. And I, I probably need to mention, yes, of course, I drafted Will Fuller in this draft because I always draft Will Fuller and I'm a sucker and um, I'm just going to keep going back to this every year. But in my defense, uh, he has an ADP of uh, 169 and I got him at pick 184. So I held off multiple rounds before I finally drafted Will Fuller. So, uh, Ryan, I I thought you might be proud of me. Um, I did draft Will Fuller as my last receiver, even though he does not have a team, but I waited multiple rounds after he should have gone. So could have been worse. Yeah, I don't hate it. Keep drafting (laughs) him. It's going to work for you one of these days, Eric. (laughs) It has to. This will be the year. He doesn't have a team, and this will be the year. All right. Well, I think that's a good coverage of our first best ball draft. We'll have more of this. If y'all are still listening, we appreciate it. Um, Feel free to reach out and let us know uh, some topics you'd like to hear us cover this summer um, at the QB list on Twitter. Uh, You know, we're trying to get maybe away a little bit from the news, um, reporting the news, free agency moves, trades, all that, because we know that y'all are getting that information on other podcasts or other feeds. So um, we're trying to stick to a little bit more uh, topic based uh, podcasts for the for the summer, at least. So let us know if there's anything you want to hear, get on, uh, get on Twitter, send us a message, let us know um, what you'd like to see coming up soon, whether it's a dynasty draft, we've already done a million of them here at QB list. I think I've still got two going right now, Um, but whether it's dynasty rookies, uh, best ball, whatever, just let us know. So uh, thank you all for listening. We will be back with another podcast here uh, probably within a week or two. Um, But until then uh, have a good June and good luck in your best. ball.